What's up, boys and girls? Welcome to the podcast. Podcast is brought to you by Waterstone Mortgage and the Bowen team. If you guys are possibly thinking about buying a house, the most important thing you can do is work with a mortgage lender who knows what the hell they're doing. I have to tell you, after doing this for five years, full-time, it's probably one of the single most important things you can do besides hiring a good realtor. Uh, Michael Bowen from Waterstone Mortgage, this guy's a pro. He's been doing it for like 30 years. He's one of the top mortgage brokers in New Mexico. And I actually personally use this guy a lot. He's actually done uh, a personal house for me. But then I always have no problem referring this guy to other people. So if you're a first-time home buyer, if you're trying to buy a luxury property, you want to buy an investment property, whatever you can think of, this guy can help for sure. Give Michael Bowen a call from Waterstone Mortgage, 505-259-8326. That's 505-259-8326. NMLS number 214602. Michael Bowen at Waterstone Mortgage. This episode of the podcast is also brought to you by Pure Life Medical Cannabis. That's right, ladies and gentlemen, I said it, medical cannabis. If you are a card holder here in the state of New Mexico, you want to go with the best. You got to go with Pure Life, all right? Being a medical card holder, I can tell you these guys probably have the largest variety of strains out of any of the dispensaries that I've seen here in New Mexico. Uh, they've got stores in Las Cruces, T or C. There's, they have like six stores all around the state. They've got 10 coming by the middle of next year. These guys are known for their high quality medicine, exceptional service. Their staff is super friendly. Uh, they've got edibles, chocolates, gummies, candies. They also carry Bloom vape pens. Now, the cool thing about the Bloom vape pen, these things are laboratory tested as being safe, so you don't have to worry about any nonsense with that. And then all of their product is actually grown in this multi-million dollar state-of-the-art facility that they had built just for their medicine. So if you are a card holder, if you're a medical cannabis card holder, you have to go and check out the people over at Pure Life. Six locations to choose from. PureLifeNM.com is the website. Make sure you tell them Buck and Dex sent you. The podcast is also being brought to you by Unleashed Sports Nutrition. If you're not familiar with these guys, let me explain who they are. They used to be a different brand years ago when we were back doing the morning show, and then they changed because they could help their clients and customers better by just kind of going out on their own. So now they're Unleashed Sports Nutrition. They're in Rio Rancho, and Corey is the guy that owns that place over there. They've got another shop actually coming here pretty soon. It's going to be in the Winrock Town Center. So these guys are actually very helpful. I got on this health kick this summer, about the middle of July, and I went over and saw Corey, and he was kind of helping me out as far as, you know, telling me what I needed as far as protein, you know, you need to take in this much protein, you need to take this uh, this amino acid, and he really set me up with, uh, I guess, just kind of like making sure that I was going to be successful for what I was trying to do, and I got to tell you, man, I have never felt better and I'm stronger than I ever was. I mean, I'm being consistent about it. I'm being consistent with my diet, uh, with my exercise. But the other piece of this puzzle that you have to have if you're trying to lose weight or you're trying to gain muscle is you have to be taking the right supplements and you have to go see the guys over at Unleashed Sports Nutrition in Rio Rancho. Don't just take my word for it though. Make sure you call them and talk to them. Call, ask for Corey. The phone number is 505 Eight nine two forty eight hundred five zero five 
800-892-4800. Ask for Corey. Make sure you tell them that Buck and Dex sent you so you can get the Buck and Dex podcast deal. Back by popular demand. Come on. Jeremy Corbell, welcome to the Buck and Dex podcast. Hey guys, thanks for having me on. Yeah, thanks for being here, man. Sorry, uh, sorry about our connectivity issues. You know, I tested all this stuff out before we got you on the line, and of course, things just tend to break. Don't worry, it's the CIA. Yep, it is the CIA. <laughs> it's the <a> CIA. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to silence you, bro. <laughs> So just just in case, uh, if you don't know who Jeremy Corbell is, Jeremy Corbell is a documentary filmmaker, and he's done a handful of things. He's done Patient 17. He's done uh, Hunt for the Skinwalker. Most recently, he did Area 51, Bob Lazar, and Flying Saucers. And I believe you have something coming up. You have, uh, aren't you doing that uh, Storm Area 51 documentary? Well, yeah, so the, the last film was Bob Lazar, Area 51, and Flying Saucers. And that film, and going on the Joe Rogan podcast, is what uh, created the Storm Area 51 movement. It was what inspired the kid to go online and, and post this crazy thing that he did. So I've documented that whole process. We'll see if it's going to be a, a full movie, but I'm also going to be doing a TV show pretty soon so people will be able to see these investigations as they unfold. So did that turn out to be one big giant party? Um, of course, we'll have to wait for the documentary, but uh, um, I, and I'm glad nobody got killed or hurt as we know of, but uh, did that just turn out to be a, just a cool hangout where you guys could just hang out and talk UFOs and... Yeah, it's actually really interesting, man. I, I, this is the first time ever that I was able to see firsthand what it's like to manipulate uh, through social media for, for our government and for just the powers that be to manufacture some sort of consent. They, you know, the, the, even uh, Area 51 itself, the base, uh, our Department of Defense even put out a tweet saying the last thing millennials are going to see if they try to storm Air 51 and they, and they put a, an image of a bomber up on Twitter. <laughs> of course they so did. They immediately took it down, you know, with, a, with, a, with an apology. But the, the big picture here is what happened is all these people said, we want to know the truth about what our government with our money is building and doing out at Air 51. And it, it became this uh, meme that spread everywhere. And it's fascinating how that was managed, how public interest was managed by the military. They made it seem like it was going to be something you should fear. So a lot of people signed up and didn't show up. There was over 3,000, maybe three to 5,000 people that came into the middle of nowhere <laughs> That's crazy. to talk about UFOs, to kind of have a big party, for sure. There was a party aspect. But I think what's interesting is the curiosity of the public after the movie came out, revealing a lot of this about Bob Lazar and Area 51, and just how social media picked up on it and how people mobilized and got out there and how it wasn't dangerous at all, how people didn't act all crazy, and how people were just curious and, and still are curious. So it was a very strange series of events just by making a documentary, right? Yeah. yeah. How did you... Uh... How did you decide that you were just going to be a documentary filmmaker? Because you're kind of 
kind of a renaissance man. I mean, you know, what people don't know about you is, you know, prior to your life as a documentary filmmaker, you were, um, you have been involved in, I should say, in, um, I don't know how to put it, like, uh, you've been like a technical advisor before for video game companies with uh, MMA stuff and, and uh, you know, kind of an artist as well. How did you decide to make that pivot from going from artist slash, you know, technical MMA advisor to going into making documentary films? Yeah, it's really strange. I remember when I, you know, kind of first started looking into UFOs and stuff, I came on your guys' show. It was probably one of the first shows that I ever did talking about UFOs. I was never into this stuff in the way that I am now. You know, I did, you know, mixed martial arts. You know, they called it cross training back in the day, but it, it's something I was always fascinated with. And that was my life path. And then the, the whole UFO thing was really strange, man. You know, I, I got an illness and I couldn't uh, compete. I couldn't train. I couldn't run my schools of martial arts. I mean, I was really sick. And so from there, I started making artwork in my garage, which was supposed to be my training facility, I guess. And some, some dudes were there documenting and filming this process of me transitioning from martial athletics into fine art. And I was looking at them filming my work and I was thinking, man, they're, they're doing something way cooler than what I'm doing. And that's all that I knew. I didn't know anything about cameras, anything about filmmaking, but I knew I could learn. I'm a fast learner. So I just really grabbed a camera, pointed it at some very curious individuals, and the camera acted as like a passport. Like they wouldn't talk to me on any given normal day, right? I'm a bearded, tattooed dude that like they don't know. And these are, you know, military individuals. However, having that camera seemed to open a door that allowed them to talk to me. So I became a filmmaker really accidentally. I was just curious myself and used the camera as a passport to talk with people. And then eventually you got enough footage. You're like, well, I should put this together. A lot of people make documentaries. It's harder to get a documentary seen than it is to make one. Right. Right. So I guess I've been pretty lucky with distribution and, and, and the hunger of audiences to engage this topic. I mean, we're living in a different world now. Since we first started talking about this, you guys, I was telling you about UFOs and this sort of thing. We are now living in a completely different world. We're in December of 2017. The New York Times admitted and acknowledged military programs to study UFOs. So maybe it's perfect timing that I'm interested in this making films on this and the world is embracing the fact that there are unknown objects of unknown origin flying through our airspace with impunity. Yeah. Yeah. Buck and I were talking about this the other day. Cause we, we, we started to kind of uh, chat a little bit about, you know, Hey, do you think, you know, UFOs are real? And then, and I, and I said, I'm about, I think I'm about 90% sure that there could be other life forms on other planets and he said, well, what if it's just another country with, you know, better technology, you know, like Russia or China? And it's I, what, your thoughts on that. Do you think it's even possible that another country could have the technology that uh, that that we've seen on these videos? Yeah. And kind of I, I mean, piggybacking off of his question as well, you know, just to kind of expand on on my thought with that is a lot of people have said they see things, you know, flying through the night sky, whatever. Personally, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of like the Fox Mulder of the group from the X-Files. It's like, I want to believe, but I want you to prove it to me. And 
I think that a lot of that stuff could be government experiments. Yeah, you know, I, I, I wish I, I wish they were government experiments. I, I wish that we did have that technology. Um, just pausing for a second. There's a lot of sound in the background here. Someone's doing leaf blowing. Can you guys hear me okay? Yeah, we're good. I can hear you. Okay. So, so basically, yeah, I just, I wish it was our government. I wish it was other governments. Our government itself is curious about, you know, who these visitors are, who built this technology. This is in government documents, government studies, government reports. It's not just me telling you this. So let's just break it down. You know, we've, we've known as science develops over the last, you know, I'd say century that the, the universe is much bigger than we first imagined or we could conceive of. Uh, science has shown us that most likely there are planets, uh, exoplanets around different suns that have the capacity to harbor life like we have here on Earth. So that idea is not difficult for people. Uh, despite maybe belief systems that they have, religious or whatnot, th- this idea that, you know, there, is, there could be life in other places. However, we're confronted with a very different reality here on planet Earth, which is that there is a technology that is far advanced to what we have, to what any nation here on Earth has or has been able to, to develop. And that's not a matter of belief. This is not something I'm asking you to believe. This is something that you can look at when you look at the way our governments have been engaging the phenomenon, this UFO phenomenon. It's well documented, and it's been happening a long time. The Russians want to know if it's ours. We want to know if it's theirs. Same with the Chinese. And we're all afraid that somebody is going to figure this out first. That's what we've learned over the last couple of years of these reports from government programs that there has been a technology here for a long time and that it's been here since we took to the air. And it, it's something that has been perplexing and, it, and guaranteed far beyond the technology that we have. In fact, these technologies we're talking about that are flying around up there, they can do things like shut down our weapon systems, And that's exactly what we saw with these famous cases now with the gimbal and the Tic Tac. Uh, there was active jamming that occurred on the pilots, which means they, they disable the weapon systems and the optic systems. They intentionally do that. Hmm. So, so that's a, that's a breach of, you know, that, that, that's an act of war, actually. When, when you do active jamming on a fighter pilot's weapon system, that's an act of war. So that's the way the military was looking at these things. So I don't know, guys. It, it's a big mystery. However, it's not a matter of belief anymore. Consensus reality needs to catch up with the data rich reality that we have about these UFOs. Jeremy, do you think it's a, it's a, it's a possibility that our government, there's somebody in the government that knows that's made contact with these, maybe it's another life form on another planet and they're just keeping that under wraps. Because when I think about, let's say if we had technology where we could, we, we discovered a planet that had, life forms on it, I would imagine that we would probably want to communicate with them and want to make contact with them. But it seems like now this is just from some Joe Schmo from the outside looking at it. Um, I don't know the insides at all, but it seems like why are these UFOs 
they're coming to Earth, but it seems like they're not making a whole lot of contact to figure out who we are. Or maybe they are. I don't know. Yeah, you're asking kind of one of the fundamental questions, which is, you know, you could have, you know, 10,000 UFO sightings, you know, sightings of craft of unknown origin that outpace our craft with a technology beyond ours. Only one of them needs to be actual for this to be true, right? It's kind of this funny thing. So then you have this position where if you go to the core of the Bob Lazar story, the core of Bob Lazar's story, the one portrayed in my documentary, is that our government not only is aware of these other uh, entities or intelligences and their physical machines, right, that they actually, we actually have some of them that are functional, that we've been trying to reverse engineer. So clearly from a military perspective, and this is something that I've, I don't have the luxury of disbelief. I have enough information over the years to stand behind this, which is that we do have physical artifacts from somewhere else. Now, now where they're from, I don't know, man. That's where, that's where it becomes interesting. Are these extraterrestrial, extra-dimensional, extra-temporal? You know, are these techno-terrestrials? We don't know. We just know that we have machinery in our possession, in the United States military's possession. We've had it for a long time. We haven't made progress on them. But we have kept it under wraps because everything is considered a threat. We want a technological advantage. If America gets a technological advantage, then that is an advantage in warfare. And it's a threat to not have that technological advantage. So that is the core of the secrecy. It's not that religions would collapse. It's not that people would freak out. You know, that, that all studies have shown that's not what's going to happen. So the reason for the secrecy, to the best of my knowledge at this time, is we want to obtain a technological advantage. And we've dug a hole by not admitting that this is going on publicly up until December of 2017 when it was admitted, right? We have not been admitting. So that's really dug us a hole, but it was for good reason. It was to have a, a military advantage, but we're not making progress on these things. Yeah, We know how they work. We just don't have the material science to replicate those machines here on Earth. That's, to the best of my understanding, what the issue is. So, Jeremy, you've spent a lot of time with Bob Lazar. You know the man really well. Did he ever talk to you about that said technology that our government has in their possession? When did that come into their possession? Was it like Roswell? Was it you know, post Roswell? When 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 did he say that stuff actually came into into their possession? And you know, for people that haven't seen your film, kind of explain who Bob Lazar is and what he means to this story. Yeah, th this is a difficult part of the story because Bob, he's a very straightforward individual. Uh, he, he, he'll tell you what he saw, what he physically had hands on as a physicist employed by our government at Area 51 at a subbase called Site 4, right? That's his claim. He'll tell you what he had his hands on. He can also tell you what he read, but he doesn't know that to be true. Disinformation is a, is a big problem when it comes to this subject because it's been so closely held. So we'll have to distinguish what it is that you know he says is fact, I know because I had my hands on it, and what it is I was told, which is more fantastical, right? Uh, so Bob Lazar. Bob Lazar was an employee of the United States Navy. 
he's a physicist that worked, and we've proved this, uh, George Knapp, my mentor in journalism, we proved this many times over, that he was a physicist at Los Alamos National Laboratory. From there, he said he got employed in a very special reverse engineering program where he was going to be working on field propulsion systems. That's all they told him. So he got this job out at Area 51, and he flies in, and over the course of an indoctrination period, they start to show him the materials that they want him to reverse engineer. And he very quickly was able to assess that these materials were not from here, that we were building these or trying to build these, reverse engineer them, but that they were made, I mean, somewhere else. Like these are foreign technologies, to put it lightly. Uh, this really came into his mind where he, you know, he thought UFOs were, were, were crazy. It was for crazy people. He, he was not interested in the subject. But the day that he saw the field propulsion system was a gravitational propulsion system. We do not have the ability to manipulate gravity as, as human beings. We, we do not have that technology. We know how it can be done, but we don't have the material science in order to, to, it, to, to do that. And so he knows that, and he's there, and he sees a, a field propulsion system, a gravity propulsion system, puts his hands on it. And this is a technology far beyond what humanity has, and he knows that. But the thing that really pushed it in, he was able to see these nine flying discs, what we would call flying saucers, in a hangar at Site 4, which is a sub-base of Area 51. He was actually able to step inside of one as he's doing his work out there. They were very compartmentalized, but they let him inside one. And the thing that really struck him, and this is a very skeptical individual. This is a scientist through and through. But when he's confronted with stepping in this vehicle and realizing that it's about half scale, what it would need to be for human beings. I mean, they didn't make a flying saucer for, for children, right? Right. So he steps into this thing and it's really ominous. It's foreign. It wasn't made for us. And that was the feeling he had nothing. He, his eyes, what he saw in there, the, the monochrome color of what looked like steel, like a, like a brush gunmetal, nothing was made for human comfort. There were no bathrooms, right? There, were, there was nothing that was distinguishable for, for basic travel. This thing was a uniformed body, about half size of what it should be. There were three seats in it, if you can call them that. No wires, nothing. And these, these gravity wave amplifiers, they would turn on just by being near the fuel source. It reminds me kind of of the Tesla-powered energy idea, that just having a device by a power source that it would operate. So, you know, that old quote by Arthur C. Clarke, I think, which is that um, any advanced technology would be indistinguishable from magic. Mm -hmm. That's the feeling that he got. You know, he, he really, he understood the basics of how it might work, but it was so far beyond what we could create. So that's who Bob Lazar was. He claimed to work on back engineering, alien technology, flying saucers, or attempting to do that. And over the years, we've had a lot of corroboration that there are these types of projects. For example, when the New York Times broke the story about ATIP, which is a government program to study UFOs, a military program, they also related to a program called OSAP, which was the bigger mother program that our United States military had to study UFOs and associated phenomena. So these programs were looking to get deeper into this mystery and they were trying to get special access program status, which would then allow them to access the information 
in other government programs of non-terrestrial uh, technologies. They were denied access. This is a little bit into the weeds, but the idea here is this is so compartmentalized. When you say the government has programs, or when I say that, you have to be careful because who is the government? Most of the government, most of the people in the military are completely unaware of these programs. I've talked to numerous employees working out at Area 51. They were never told what was happening at Site 4. They were never allowed to know that information. They're always put right on task and not given the whole picture. But over time, as we kind of look at this, as, as people investigate this, they start to realize that there were a number of programs and are currently a number of programs. Up until December of 2017, our government told us, nothing to see here, move on, not interested in UFOs. We closed that study with Project Blue Book in 1969. Famous UFO study. Well, we learned that that was a lie, that studies continued and continue to this day on a phenomenon which a lot of people don't believe exists. So Bob Lazar, when he, uh, when he asked the question, where did these come from? When did these come from? Uh, he was given some wild information. He, he, he was given the impression that these nine vehicles, these nine crack, were from some sort of archaeological dig. Now, is that true? He doesn't know. They could be giving him a red herring or telling him whatever they wanted to tell him, right? All he knows is that we have these in our possession, and for a brief moment in time, he was employed to work on one of them, a part of one of them. Right. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um Good. Yeah, it's almost like uh, when you're you're explaining the uh, the flying saucer, I, I had this picture in my mind, and the only thing I can really um, think about is if we sent a drone to another planet, you know, because maybe the UFO didn't even have uh, somebody in it, you know. I mean, it's possible, right? right? It could just be a, a drone like saucer. So check this out. I mean, if we're going to go down this rabbit hole, let's just blow it wide open, right? Yeah. So you have manned and you have unmanned vehicles in advanced society i mean look we're not even going to send you know human beings to go fight our wars anymore because we have drones right so yeah an advanced technological society could easily be sending drones instead of manned you know with people in them you know some sort of spaceship with people in them however the, the if you have a more advanced society then you could also create cybernetic organisms. Yeah. So kind of like AI intelligence, you know, robots basically. But these robots can be can be made out of a biological material. So an artificial intelligence operating be what look like beings, right? That are made of a biological material but controlled by an artificial intelligence. So in all these reports of the grays, which is like one of the types of what people think are extraterrestrials, what they see instead could basically be cybernetic organisms yeah. you know these these kind of robots that are made to, to to operate these vehicles so yes i think we we are experiencing drones and, and this happened back you know in the world wars with the foo fighters right these orbs that you know are not big enough to carry a, a normal sized occupant right yeah. these have been seen forever but also these huge ships like the mass sighting in phoenix arizona I mean, we're talking a mile wide or bigger craft, which, by the way, we don't have. We don't have a mile wide craft here on Earth. 
right? Right. So whatever's operating that vehicle, I mean, that's a big ass drone if you want a drone. So I, I think we're seeing both. I think we're seeing vehicles that are scouts or probes that come in all shapes and sizes. And then we're also seeing kind of like these motherships and, and, and these mass sightings of mile wide craft. And there've been a number of them. So it's possible that we have manned and unmanned vehicles. Now, all of the vehicles are propelled in a way that is a non-reactionary propulsion system. And that's what's fascinating. So when you look through infrared or through FLIR, when these pilots are engaging these objects over the East Coast as recently as um, a couple of years ago, right? And also on, on the West Coast, when they're engaging these, these objects, there's no tail fin. There's no rotors. There's no plumes of heat or exhaust. There's no acceleration or deceleration. These things look like ping pong balls inside of a, a glass of water or, or an empty glass. So we know that these machines are propelled through gravitational distortion. It's an incredible form of propulsion. Uh, it defies all of the resistance that we get through air or through sea, right? So these things can drop into the ocean without a splash. They can accelerate or decelerate what appears to us instantaneously. Now, the question is, where are they coming from? And that, that's a problem of, of, of physics, because when, when you use a gravitational distortion system, time and space itself is bent. It's folded. It's manipulated. So by being extraterrestrial and coming here in gravitational craft, you are by definition extratemporal time travelers right? Because you're bending space-time to get here. So it alleviates this idea that there might be life out in the universe everywhere, but they're definitely not coming here. The problem for that has always been distance. We're, we're saying the fastest you can go is the speed of light. However, we now know that to be completely untrue. With, with quarks, right? There's an instantaneous transfer of data simultaneously when you pair quarks. So information somehow travels faster than the speed of light. It's instantaneous, despite vast distance. Now, if you have craft that can actually propel with a gravity wave, then we can essentially be going from one place to the other without time being a factor. So that opens up this book. It opens up this idea that an advanced technology can actually be coming here from just about anywhere. Wow. That's fascinating. Man. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah it, it totally does. does. Don't touch that dial. A what? We'll be right back. What's up, boys and girls? Welcome to the podcast. Podcast is brought to you by Waterstone Mortgage and the Bowen team. If you guys are possibly thinking about buying a house, the most important thing you can do is work with a mortgage lender who knows what the hell they're doing. I have to tell you, after doing this for five years full time, it's probably one of the single most important things you can do besides hiring a good realtor. Uh, Michael Bowen from Waterstone Mortgage, this guy's a pro. He's been doing it for like 30 years. He's one of the top mortgage brokers in New Mexico. And I actually personally use this guy a lot. He's actually done uh, a personal house for me, but then I always have no problem referring this guy to other people. So if you're a first-time home buyer, if you're trying to buy a luxury property, you want to buy an investment property, whatever you can think of, this guy can help for sure. Give Michael Bowen a call from Waterstone Mortgage, 505-259-8326. That's 505-259-8326. NMLS number 214602. 
Michael Bowen at Waterstone Mortgage. This episode of the podcast is also brought to you by Pure Life Medical Cannabis. That's right, ladies and gentlemen, I said it, medical cannabis. If you are a cardholder here in the state of New Mexico, you want to go with the best. You got to go with Pure Life, all right? Being a medical cardholder, I can tell you these guys probably have the largest variety of strains out of any of the dispensaries that I've seen here in New Mexico. Uh, they've got stores in Las Cruces, T or C. There's, they have like six stores all around the state. They've got 10 coming by the middle of next year. These guys are known for their high-quality medicine, exceptional service. Their staff is super friendly. Uh, they've got edibles, chocolates, gummies, candies. They also carry Bloom vape pens. Now, the cool thing about the Bloom vape pen, these things are laboratory tested as being safe, so you don't have to worry about any nonsense with that. And then all of their product is actually grown in this multi-million dollar state-of-the-art facility that they had built just for their medicine. So if you are a card holder, if you're a medical cannabis card holder, you have to go and check out the people over at Pure Life. Six locations to choose from. PureLifeNM.com is the website. Make sure you tell them Buck and Dex sent you. The podcast is also being brought to you by Unleashed Sports Nutrition. If you're not familiar with these guys, let me explain who they are. They used to be a different brand years ago when we were back doing the morning show, and then they changed because they could help their clients and customers better by just kind of going out on their own. So now they're Unleashed Sports Nutrition. They're in Rio Rancho, and Corey is the guy that owns that place over there. They've got another shop actually coming here pretty soon. It's going to be in the Winrock Town Center. So these guys are actually very helpful. I got on this health kick this summer, about the middle of July, and I went over and saw Corey, and he was kind of helping me out as far as, you know, telling me what I needed as far as protein, you know, you need to take in this much protein, you need to take this uh, this amino acid, and he really set me up with, uh, I guess, just kind of like making sure that I was going to be successful for what I was trying to do, and I got to tell you, man, I have never felt better and I'm stronger than I ever was. I mean, I'm being consistent about it. I'm being consistent with my diet, uh, with my exercise. But the other piece of this puzzle that you have to have if you're trying to lose weight or you're trying to gain muscle is you have to be taking the right supplements and you have to go see the guys over at Unleashed Sports Nutrition in Rio Rancho. Don't just take my word for it though. Make sure you call them and talk to them. Call, ask for Corey. The phone number is 505 502-4800, 505-892-4800, ask for Corey, make sure you tell them that Buck and Dex sent you so you can get the Buck and Dex podcast deal. Jeremy, tell me this, Um, when you decided, you know, when you got into starting to become a, a filmmaker, you know, documentary stuff, and what a lot of people will say is you're kind of a conspiracy theory filmmaker guy. Um, when did you have that aha moment for yourself where you were like, okay, I believe this. This is real. Yeah, I, I think there, there's been a few. I mean, I, I really am allergic to the idea of, you know, conspiracy theory. That term was really made up to dismiss people that are digging into to, to areas that people don't want, you know, kind of dug into. Uh, there's there's no conspiracy here. There, there could be a, a cover-up, you know, absolutely. But that's it's more of a compartmentalization of information uh, that has occurred around this subject, as, as well as, you know, a kind of ridicule factor 
that has been propagated not, not only by our government, but also by each other. You know, this idea that if you are believing in this, you know, this idea that there are other intelligent life, then, then you must be crazy. That, that's something that has been out there for a long time. It's been propagated by comedians, by radio show hosts, by authors, you know, probably by our own family, right? So we, we've done that to ourselves. For me, I'm not interested in a conspiracy theory. What I'm interested in is digging and finding out what the evidence is like is there a weight to the evidence let that be witness testimony let that be government documents uh, whatever the form of evidence that's what i'm interested in so when, when it comes to this stuff there have been a few aha moments and, and the, the the first and kind of biggest one for me is that we've always been told that there's you know there's nothing to ufos this is something our government has said but then when you look at the physical data, when you look at the documents that our own government, go, it goes against what they've told us, that they're not interested, it hasn't been studied, and these pilots must be crazy, right? And then you look at the intense interest that our own government has for these unknowns in the sky, there's a dichotomy there of one thing they're saying and another thing that they've been doing for 70 years. So that was the first time when I realized like a dog with a bone, you know, you're like, okay, Somebody's lying to me, and I'm going to find out. So that was the first thing that really taught me not to just listen to the first thing that comes through the radio about this stuff, that there's more to it, and that very intelligent people with well-funded people are interested in this at the highest levels of our military and government in every branch of our military. So with that said, I can't uh, have the luxury of disbelief anymore, right? There's something to this mystery, and, and when there's something to a mystery – there's ways to find out more and you just got to ask the right question and you got to be persistent. Have you had a chance to uh, talk with Tom DeLong? Because, Oh my gosh. Yeah, oh, Tom you know what? De- what? I didn't tell Dex about your relationship with Tom DeLong. Oh, what? What, Internet what? dating. They're they're what? like they're like BFFs. Oh really? Yeah. <laughs> no, we're not. We're not. We're not BFFs. Well, okay, I, but I, I Jeremy, no this is my question. Why do you sound so? believable but when tom talks i don't believe a word he says <laughs> yeah um you're gonna have to answer that one for yourself <laughs> um, you know look uh i i know tom we're, we're not yeah that's a minute i know tom i've known tom for a long time when he was interested in this he went to my mentor in journalism george knapp george knapp gave him some info George also made the introduction with me and George to Bob Lazar and to Tom. So, so Tom has always been interested in this since he was a kid. You know, I, I don't think he was, was investigating it. He was just kind of real interested. He's reading, consuming a lot of information about it. But then, you know, what he did was he kind of put his money where his mouth was, and he decided to kind of create an organization that would pull together these you know, very serious individuals who've been involved with the CIA and Lockheed Skunk Works and, and got them all together as a think tank and really started pushing the issue. So I give him a lot of credit for that. Um, I think that his position, like who he is as a person and the information that he has been exposed to uh, and the way he filters that information, that's a highly personal thing, yeah. right? So belief is something you build based upon your experiences and what you're willing to accept. Yeah. So maybe when you hear him talk, you're hearing him accept information that to him feels correct. Yeah. Where for me, 
um, the information that I've kind of dug into over the last decade plus, there, there's a certain uh, level that I'm willing to engage and another level where I'm, I'm just not sure yet. Right. Yeah, it makes sense. I think I think Dex is just being a dick, just nah, because of the way he sings and sounds. And nah, I think that's what it that's is. That's not it at all. I've 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 watched Tom on a few different interviews, and I just kind of, I just I didn't get it really. You know, it just it wasn't believable to me. So I. Well, it wasn't. Yeah, I think the coherence with which you're explaining something of this magnitude, you need to take it very slow and separate your personal belief system. Right from you know the actual um data or information that you that you want to be conveying to somebody so i, th- I think that's the communication thing look it, it's an exciting topic it, it absolutely gets people who gravitate towards it who are fantasists you have to remember that too i mean we're talking about an area that's between shadow and substance we don't know yet you know the truths about this stuff this is a pioneering field we, we are learning this as we go so you do get a lot of people who are fantasists. You get a lot of people who are frauds and liars and fakers and just they make up the most fantastical story you possibly can. And the crazier it is, the more people want to buy into it. And then people take advantage of that. You see that all this time in this field. So, so that's why you, people like Bob Lazar are so fascinating to me, because this is a guy that is not a fantasy. He's not an exaggerationist. He is a very straightforward, scientific-minded individual who has never sought the limelight. We've always pulled him into it. You know, I, I had to fight to get him to tell his story against me, to go on camera. It took many years. This is not a guy looking for publicity through all of this. So people like that, they have a little more credibility with me than people that are going around making up lies about you know, being explorers on Mars with aliens, right? Yeah, you have to wonder why, I mean, a lot of people that are painting him just as a kook or whatever, you know, you have to wonder and kind of ask the question is like, what does he have to gain out of it? Like, what is he seeking? And as far as I know from the research that I've done, obviously it's minimal compared to the amount of research and time you've spent on this, but it's not like Bob Lazar is out there trying to, um, you know, trying to make a name for himself or get rich off of this because, you know, he's got this story to tell. That's not the case at all. He seems like a very kind of introverted, quiet guy who just wants to live his life. Yeah, you know, look, it's it's really hard, you know, from the outside, if you just read what's on the internet, you know, I'd say 90% of it is false about Bob. And you really need to make this decision for yourself. But you are correct, and I will tell you that straight up, which is that, look, I was looking for inconsistencies in Bob's story. I, I, I talked with everybody in his past. He opened the book. There was no restriction for me to dig into his past. And being a very private person myself, man, I don't know if I would do that. But, but Bob did that for me. He allowed me to, to, to dig in. And no, he has had so many ways that he could profiteer off of what he's trying to tell you. But remember, the if you believe the story even a little bit, the, the first reason he came forward, and George Knapp tells us this, is because they were being threatened. Both George Knapp and Bob Lazar and all of their friends, somebody believed Bob in, in, of high power, believed Bob Lazar, and, and wanted him to shut up. So the best way for him to protect himself, I mean, he was threatened, his life is threatened, his wife is threatened, that really happened. That actually happened. And 
the best way to, to, to get past all that is to get in front of it. And that's what Bob did. And over the decades, over the last 30 years, he has not looked to profiteer, to talk at conventions, to, you know, all these things. People are trying to get him all the time to do articles and interviews and pay him to do this and that. And he doesn't want any part of it. He came forward to protect himself. Whether you believe that or not, that is the truth. And, and, and to this day, what he finds to be the most important is that you just hear his story and decide for yourself reality. He's not asking you to believe blindly. He's not even asking you to believe. If you don't believe it, he says, pass it on. It makes my life a lot easier. But he does feel it's his duty to tell you what happened to him because the implications of the, the science and the technology that he had his hands on, it could immediately change the world we live in. This is the biggest story of all time. It's, it's the story that not only are we not alone in the universe, and not only have they come here, whoever they are, Right, there may be multiple days, but like whoever they are, they've come here over time, and we have some of their machines that, and they're operational to a degree. You know, the power sources are operational. I mean, that, that's a huge story. The physics we've been taught is incorrect or, or it's not complete, and there's been a part of physics that has been held back from the scientific community to be able to, to access and to look at and to understand and to benefit you know, humanity from. And that's a big deal. Yeah. That's being held back. I think one of the, uh, one of the scariest things about Bob's story when I was listening was when he, they basically erased him, you know, I mean, if that's, does what do you mean? They erased the him? hell out of you. I mean, the government basically they, they erased um, didn't they take away like his diplomas where he graduated from, you know, because, you know, that he ever worked here in New Mexico. And I mean, you couldn't find any information on him for a long time. Well, this was a big, this is a big source of contention. And it always makes me think like, you know, if everybody really fully believed Bob Lazar, I mean, his life would be a living hell. Already people like camp out at his place. I mean, it's, you know, it's pretty wild, man. So, so here's the deal. The idea that, you know, Bob always said that he attended MIT and Caltech, and, you know, that's his education. And there was no records of him at, at MIT or Caltech. Now, this is before the Internet days, and sure, you could say, you know, they get rid of his, his files and this sort of thing. And then people say, well, why don't you know anybody at, at these schools? And this is a path that people go down to try to kind of assassinate his credibility, mm -hmm. right? So George Knapp also, in his first report, said we can't find evidence of Bob Lazar at these universities. So he couldn't prove his education. However, and this, this, was, this is the thing that really made George look deeper than this. Because as a journalist, he just said, I can't authenticate you. I'm sorry. You must be lying. Los Alamos also said that Bob Lazar never worked there as a physicist. And they told that to George Knapp. And they stuck by that story until George Knapp uncovered Bob Lazar's name in the phone directory. Then that opened a Pandora's box. Turns out Los Alamos was completely lying. Somebody told them to lie. So who would do that? Why would somebody try to discredit Bob? I mean, Bob took George Knapp into Los Alamos, introduced him to other employees that worked with him as a physicist there. I have footage of Bob in Los Alamos. I have talked with people that worked alongside Bob Lazar as a physicist at Los Alamos. 
So you've got a guy that somehow got this elite physicist job at a, at a really powerful, um, you know, kind of secretive place. Los Alamos, you can't just walk into Los Alamos and go to Maison Particle Accelerator. You can't just do that. Somebody thought Bob Lazar had enough education to be working as a physicist there. So he had some education. I don't know if he, I, I don't care if he was homeschooled. He was a physicist at Los Alamos. Somehow he had the credentials and the ability to do this. But even though I can't prove what his credentials were, look, the interesting thing is that they tried to erase him at Los Alamos too, but they were not successful. They could not erase his name in the phone book and that opened Pandora's box. So it turns out he was a physicist there and they were lying and they continued to lie and someone told them to lie. So if they're doing that with Los Alamos, are they doing that with where he got educated as well? You know, it's possible, man. Ultimately, to me, it doesn't really matter. I have also been able to prove that he worked at Area 51. I have witnesses that saw him come off of the Janet Airlines flight on Area 51, right? It's a new witness I'm going to be bringing forward. I've got people who were um, lost their security clearances at Area 52, which is the stealth program, just for mentioning Bob Lazar's name. Now, if, if he never worked there and they didn't care about him, then why would people be losing their security clearances just for mentioning his name? That happened to a friend of mine, somebody that I'm close with now. So I don't know, man, it, maybe there is a cover up to try to dismiss what Bob Lazar has told you by dehumanizing him or by uh, sowing the seeds of doubt and erasing him, right? Erasing some of his past. I can't prove he was erased other than Los Alamos. But also, that's not the biggest part of the story. Yeah, do you think it was because of Element 115? Like, I know that there's there's the question of whether or not Bob Lazar ended up taking this, what do we call it, an unknown element? Well, it's a, it's a known element. Yeah, I mean, just for your audience. So this is, this is really the crux of the story. It took me many years to kind of get this part out of, of, of the story in general. But here's the basics of it. Bob always said that the way that these gravitational propulsion systems, these gravity wave amplifiers were powered, these flying saucers were powered, was through an element called element 115. Element 115 is on the periodic table now, right? Uh, it's called Muscovium. However, when he said it back then, it had not officially been acknowledged as an element because we had not fabricated it yet. Bob always said that he worked with a stable form of element 115. And to give you an example, uh, gold, like I have a gold ring. There are 37 isotopes to gold, one of which is stable. So all other forms of gold, right, the 36 other types of gold, they essentially uh, disintegrate. They've got a half-life where they're not something physical, tangible that you can hold on your finger, right? So that's the way elements work. So isotopes are important. With element 115, we fabricated through a particle accelerator, I think in 2004 in Durmstadt, Germany. I think that was the one. Uh, we got, you know, four atoms of, of element 115. So this is a, a known element, but the isotopes in those initial particles, in those initial atoms, the half-lives are so, so short, it's like 220 milliseconds, and this material is gone. Bob said he held in his hand 223 grams of stable element 115. Imagine like holding a big chunk of gold in your hand, right? Right. 
So that, that's what he said. This element was the fuel source for the flying saucers. He also said that he doesn't think that it was from Earth because we don't have naturally occurring element 115 at all here on Earth. So it had to come from somewhere else or be fabricated somewhere else because we can't create it. So what he's saying is that this is an extraterrestrial uh, composite, that this is some sort of uh, way that it's either harvested naturally out in the universe somewhere, you know, like maybe there's more, you know, uh, uranium on other planets, right? There's different abundances uh, on other planets of, uh, of different elements. So from somewhere else, there's this fuel source. He said the U.S. government had 500 pounds of it, right? And physicists were like, we don't have any solid element 115. We don't have that on planet Earth. And Bob's like, exactly. So he believes it was, it was brought here from somewhere else. Now, this is the stuff that powers the craft, right? This is the, kind of the holy grail of materials. If he gave us a piece of element 115, then it, it would be undeniable proof uh, of a manufactured or harvested element from somewhere else. He did claim that when he was working in this program, when he started getting scared for his life, that he was able to obtain a sample of it from where it was being machined at Los Alamos and get it out of the laboratory. He has not elaborate, elaborated on that very much because that's a dangerous game. If he's telling the truth, that's a stolen material, right? That's a real thing, that real consequences, right? Yeah. But he's always maintained, if you, if you really push him on it and get him to talk about it, that he was able to get a sample out and he put it away for safekeeping. And that safekeeping is what probably kept him alive. Huh, crazy. Crazy, man. Um, all right. Well, so let's uh, kind of shift gears a little bit and talk about your experience now as far as, you know, you've been doing these films for, wh when did you do your first film? I, I was kind of looking back. Was it in 2009 or something like that? 2010? Gosh, you know, I, I, I honestly don't know. I think that the first film i ever put out was a short film called lost vegas right you can see it on my on my website or whatever and that was like that was really the first film maybe it was 2012 it was really the first film that i put out just a short film right so so okay so since you've done that i mean the the first big one that you had come out was was it patient 17 and then hunt for the skinwalker was next yeah patient 17 came out on netflix okay and that was kind of the first mass distributed uh, film Right. So, okay. So you've got these three films now. Obviously, the Area 51 Bob Lazar has been your crown jewel up and up until this point. What's life been like for you since then? Because, I mean, you're doing all kinds of podcasts. I mean, you're on a podcast now. Thank you for joining us, by the way. Uh, you know, you did Joe Rogan, which is which is the biggest podcast in the world, I believe. I think he has like a billion downloads a year. How's your life changed? And, you know, are you starting to experience some of the some of the, um, you know, like you were talking about Bob Lazar and in, in the documentary, uh, you know, him being hassled. Are you starting to experience that? What's life been like for you? Oh yeah. There's been, you know, my life has completely shifted ever since the Bob Lazar, Eric, one of five foster film hit Netflix. And, you know, I went on the Joe Rogan podcast twice in three months, once with Bob Lazar, I brought him and then I brought Commander David Faber, which is the guy that actually chased the UFO, the United States military, mm -hmm. the famous case uh, off the West Coast. 
So kind of going on those shows, I underestimated the power of the powerful Joe Rogan, like, you know, the, the, the ability of people to see my face with my work. Yeah, dude, it's totally altered. I mean, I already had crazy people coming at me right and left, couldn't open my email, you know, for months. But doing that definitely pro- propelled it. I mean, I had a guy like pull me over on the highway the other day, just, you know, because you recognize my face in UFOs and wanted to tell me his UFO story. Oh, geez. So, yeah, there's a lot of, yeah, there's a lot of, I, I don't, I, if I'm not trying to go somewhere, I don't mind. I like hearing people's stories. Yeah. You know, my personal experience is everybody's super kind and cool. And they're like, the biggest thing I get is, hey, thanks for raising these issues. Thanks for making these movies. Nobody's mean to me in person. In person, everybody's like super nice. And I'm like, wow, a lot of people have seen this. And that's crazy. I mean, you know, we're, we're talking dozens of millions of views, um, you know, through Netflix. And I mean, m- way more than dozens of millions. I mean, uh, it, it, it's pretty incredible now how many people have been accessing this information through the form of media and through my, through my movie. So life is weird. It's totally altered and strange. I'm embracing it because I really enjoy this stuff. I'll be doing a television show where you get to go through these different investigations and, and see when I get what I call bullshit on stuff or, or see when I, you know, find something that is extraordinary. So yeah, life is interesting, man. I, I, I enjoy engaging people. So I don't mind, you know, being in the public eye to some degree. However, being that I'm very private, what I don't like is the attacks, uh, you know, on the, the people that I love and the attacks on, social media and you know I, I don't even look at that shit anymore because um, yeah. people are people are mean about this subject yeah yeah about this subject for, for some reason i mean robbie williams he's this like pop singer for, from europe you know he's been in the he's a friend of mine he's been in the public eye a long fucking time and he says i have never seen the the, the vitriol and the absolute craziness that comes along with this subject he goes it, it's violent he goes it's very strange so yeah, I, I do encounter that online, so I just shut it off. So how was the experience on Joe Rogan? I mean, you went on there with Bob Lazar, you went on a couple of times. H- how was Joe? We've done an interview with Joe before. We've actually interviewed him a couple of times uh, on our radio program, and the dude likes to talk, and he is an amazing interview. What was your experience like with Joe? Yeah, I mean, I Joe is a completely brutally honest, straightforward person who was really attacking the UFO subject for many years prior to the Bob Lazar uh, interview in the Bob Lazar movie. And uh, he had been in contact with me over years, like to, to, he wanted to see some of my movies, you know, he tweeted me about it and I I sent him over the movie. So we we had kind of a been corresponding, but his skepticism was kind of over the top, right? Because he used to be really into the UFO thing. And then I think he didn't, you know, didn't want to be the dumb guy in the room. No one wanted to be laughed at. And so I, he, he went the other way on the UFO topic. So when he reached out about the Bob Lazar thing, I was very skeptical. I was like, oh, are you just going to try to, you know, impose your own beliefs and smash Bob like everybody else? Like, why would I want to, you know, submit Bob to that over after 30 years of that happening? And Joe said, no, look, man, I watching your movie compelled me. It's, you know, he goes, I'm, I'm changing my mind on this. I just want to have you guys on. You know, he wanted to talk with Bob personally. So asked me to talk with him and he made a very compelling case. And I said, okay, well, I'll try. So I get Bob on the line with Joe and I also get George Knapp was there with us. And, you know, I said, okay, look, Bob, this is, this is who Joe is. He's got a big platform. 
you know, Joe truly, I believe, wants to hear from you about what happened to you. You know, I don't think he's just bringing you on to smash you, but we, we didn't know, you know, so Bob can handle himself. It's just like, how many times does he want to throw himself in the middle of the ring with his arms tied behind his back? Right. Right. So I said, it's up to you, Bob. If you want to do it, it's up to you. So then going on the Rogan podcast, I mean, I, Joe was great, man. He, he let Bob tell everybody what happened to him. You know, he didn't try to impose all his beliefs and all this stuff. He's still very skeptical, especially in that one of me, I'm sure, because, you know, I don't know, because I'm into this stuff, right. right? So Joe just wants to hear from Bob, wants to hear from Commander Fraber. But I think over the communications that we've had over this time, you know, I think Joe has been very fair and he's very curious. And I think he's inspired by, by this stuff. I think the world has changed. And I, I'm grateful that Joe gave the platform that he did for people to hear Bob and to hear Commander Fravor. And, you know, I got lucky enough. He asked me to be in those sessions with them. So I got to participate and contribute. And I thought that was cool. Cool. That's awesome, man. What was it like uh, when you were making the film? Uh, if people haven't seen the film yet, your narrator, you usually narrate your own films. But in Area 51, Bob Lazar and Flying Saucers, you got Mickey Rourke to narrate the film. What was the experience like working with him? Yeah, yeah. So, so the official title is, is Bob Lazar, Area 51, and Flying Saucers. And that's the one on, on Netflix or iTunes or whatever, right? Right. So yeah, I got Mickey. And that was crazy because, so I would narrate my own films because I just didn't have a budget to pay, you know, some oscar-nominated actor to narrate of course you always want some known narrator if you can but look it was just me and a camera so i never had the luxury so i, I went out on on a limb more importantly i went out on a credit card and i was like i'm gonna hire a, you know a kick-ass narrator but i, I don't want the, the typical person that you, you know some narration voice you know i wanted somebody who was a little bit um, edgy. You know, I wanted somebody a little bit controversial because, you know, Bob's controversial. Bob's a rebel. You know, he's the jet car guy, the rocket guy, the, you know, um, consorting with hookers guy. I mean, Bob Lazar was, you know, had a wild life, right? So I, I thought of Mickey and, and I wrote this uh, narration for Mickey that's very cosmic. If you listen to it, it's, it's you know, it's uh, of the spirit, right? Right. So this narration was conceptual, uh, was of the spirit. It's kind of out there, and I'm thinking, oh, God, Mickey's my guy. So I wrote it with, with his voice in mind, because I know Mickey. Mickey and I have common way. His voice is like a uh, you know, met him at the tattoo shop. There's Shamrock Social Club in L.A. Like to it, it's gravelly. So I sent it to official channel. His words are here's a real narrative documentary, right? Like money wicked on this offer. So I really liked it. Probably likes me. He's going to do it. I hear nothing style. Yeah. And then, of course, so we sent it to like Jeff Bridges. You know, you get more whole other side. And all these people that I knew had every like little choice you ever made to make a movie for them. <laughs> and nobody really yeah. did. Well, well I don't know if you know this or not, but uh, Dex and I are actually available for hire. If you ever need like narration services, because we're very edgy, we'll be very well known at some point, and uh, we can we can narrate with the best of them. Yeah, it's been twenty years; nobody really knows us yet. But you know what? This podcast thing—it's going to take off. I got a good feeling about this. It is. It no, is. it's great. You guys, you guys have a have a rich history, in, you know, broadcast journalism, and 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 a lot of people know your show. You've got a huge fan base. And the fact you're willing to, to talk about, you know, kind of these interesting topics and just give them a, a fair shake, you know, to hear them out, um, 
That's more than a lot of people do when, when they have guests on. You know, they like to take a position and just attack it rather than just trying to absorb information. Yeah. So, okay, so what's next for you? Uh, just kind of give us, we'll start wrapping things up here. What's next for you? You said you've got a TV show coming out. When's that happening? Yeah, so uh, to be determined, however, we're in the final phases of, of getting it set up. Um, it'll be on a major network, and it should be a show that where you get to follow my daily investigations. You know, when I'm looking into these subjects, you get to actually come with me. The, the, the camera is the, is, the, is the viewers, the way you can be in the middle of that. It's, it's fascinating how these stories break. You know, I, I was able to tell the world about the Tic Tac Yoko story. I was able to break information, break news about that before the New York Times, right? I'm not constrained in the same way that, you know, a, a major newspaper is. I've been able to develop sources, you know, over many, many years to give me the, the proximity to individuals to break stories like that, right? So that's what I hope my show shows you is kind of citizen journalism. It's how somebody like me can go in and establish relationships and kind of reveal information that people didn't know before. So that will be what the television show uh, does in the best reality. I hope it does that. My, my biggest fear is making a mediocre television show. It'll be <laughs> so fine, man. Luck that it's, just have yeah, us on. Just exciting. have us on. We'll, we'll spike your ratings for you. <laughs> yeah, of course. I'm going to be calling upon you guys. Yeah. <laughs> so that is, uh, you know, that that's the goal, man. And then I'll continue making, you know, my films. I've filmed for so many years. I could put out another film right away. I just, I don't want to do that. I want people to absorb the information and that I gave them and question it and start to do their own research, become an active participant in. in satisfying your own curiosity so so look man one year one movie every every couple years is good enough for me yeah yeah you do return you kind of you you melt down a little bit you kind of go into yourself when you're doing these things so i think it's probably healthy for you to do it every every couple of years and not try to keep cranking these things out yeah it's like three movies in three years that was intense so yeah yeah, i'm gonna give a little break and try to allow the tv world to kind of see this information out that's a different medium for me uh, sure. to get this information out sure what's the greatest spaceship alien movie ever made oh i'm gonna make one man i'm gonna make one i don't know that you chronicles know there's, of there's, there's so many what are your favorite which one <laughs> chronicles of riddick such, vin diesel is such <laughs> a bad actor and this guy loves him i mean he's like his his mount rushmore of actors are like Keanu the Reeves, The Rock, you know, Prove Vin Diesel, yeah. Arnold Schwarzenegger. Come know, on, come on, man. I don't know, man. I think, um, you know, there's there's some weird ones out there. Like Contact was kind of an interesting movie with Jodie Foster. The way that they kind of laid that, that was fascinating. Yeah, yeah, the way that they laid that out. And then um, recently, what was that one called? Was it called Interstellar? Yeah, with um. With uh, the dude from uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, was that Interstellar or was that? No, oh, I'm getting. More I can't remember. I don't. I don't know. I'm just. Yeah, there, there are so many. You know, when you look at them, there's so many good ones, and, and then the ones that I really like are the ones that are, are kind of on the edge of just straightforward, you know, alien movies. You need, you've got a lot of great alien movies, but ones that deal with you know, uh, transdimensionalism and stuff like that. Even, even Watchmen, you know, that TV show that's yeah, so good, man. Good, man. So uh, good. It's so good. It's so good. And, and, you know, some of the things that are in there 
are, you know, very fascinating. Like just from a, from a theoretical standpoint, this idea of, of uh, you know, trans-dimensional stuff and moving through space time. Yeah. So I don't know. It, sometimes it doesn't have to be right, you know, on the nose. You know, there's this beautiful movies that one. I'm going to rescind my first answer. And something just popped into my head while we were talking about this. I think I'm going to go back to the early 90s. Is he the late 80s or early 90s? And change my answer to They Live with Rowdy Roddy Piper. <laughs> oh, there we yes. go. There, now that cinematic gold. Think about it, man. <laughs> the aliens, they were living among us. They were basically uh, kind of jamming our senses to be able to see them. Kind of like what you're talking about, the the way that alien craft do when they're being pursued by by our our technology, they jam their communications, they jam their weapons. And in the movie They Live, they did the same thing. They did the exact same thing where people's perception changed and they couldn't truly see them for who they were. So this is where it gets really weird. And I'll kind of leave you with this kind of strange thing here is that, you know, there are cases throughout history that are very compelling. There's a, there's one called the, the aerial school, you know, encounter. And it was where, about 60 school children, if I get the, the, the dates wrong, I'm sorry, I think it was in the 80s, but it was like these, these craft came down into the school, I believe it was in South Africa, and they, they descended down, and all these kids saw these spaceships, these flying saucers, and out of these flying saucers came these entities that were standing on the rim of the flying saucers, and then they had these big almond black eyes, your kind of traditional uh, aliens. I yeah. I got to meet two of the girls that were children at the time that, that actually saw these things. And, and what's so interesting about this case is it was like the day after head of Harvard psychiatry, John Mack came out with the BBC and interviewed all these children. So we get this footage of uh, Salma and Liesel, my two friends, who were two of the young girls that were at this aerial school who were interviewed back in the day. And they're describing to you, as children, what they saw. All the kids had the same experience. All of them, right? So there's the BBC and head of Harvard Psychiatry, John Mack, and he said this was a real thing. They experienced what they said they experienced. As, as fantastical as that is, I got to meet them as adults. And I got to hear it directly from them, too. These beings were there and mesmerized them. They projected images into their minds. So we kind of joke about it. But look, man, we might be being told something, right? These entities, these beings, whether it be true or not true, right? I, I don't know. I can't judge that. But they were given messages messages about earth and humanity and being careful of our environment. So these types of encounters, we have to start uh, exploring because we do now know hardcore scientific data and proof through our technology that there are craft of unknown origin that are here visiting all the time with impunity in our airspace. We know that to be true. Military follows it. They're trying to reverse engineering. So are these other cases true too, where people engage beings and entities I mean, what are these messages that they're giving? I mean, this is the stuff that is so fantastical. I would love to learn more about that. Yeah. All right. That's awesome, man. Well, Jeremy, thank you so much for your time, man. We yeah, know thanks, you're Jeremy. Busy and uh, 
<clears throat> always appreciate talking to you. It's a great, and, uh, great interview, man. Yeah, we'll probably uh, love to have you back on. Yeah, we'd love to. If you're willing to come back on. Anytime, guys. Yeah, well, I'm excited for your new endeavor and, um, you know, uh, anything I can do to, to support it. And, you know, if there's other guests or something, people that, that you want, I, I have a number of friends that I'm sure would uh, love to talk with you guys about kind of some of those stranger stuff. Awesome, man. Thanks, Jeremy. Great. Appreciate Thanks, Jeremy. it, buddy. Man, that Jeremy Corbell, that guy's something else. Yeah, he, you know what? He's very convincing. Are you more convinced that uh, there's other life on other planets? I don't know, man. Like I said, I think I'm the guy where, uh, you know, I'm kind of like the Fox Mulder of of the two of us right now. You're in the opinion of yes, you believe, and I'm I I want to, yeah, but I I, I need more. I don't know if I have to see it or not. Yeah, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of with you. I'm I'm not a hundred percent convinced that uh, there's other life forms on other planets. I mean. Um, highly likely is where I stand, but you're talking about intelligent life forms, though, because I mean, I'm sure there are other planets yeah, out there no. that have like life on it, like no, water. I, and yeah, exactly. That's exactly what I'm talking about. Right. You know, stuff Jeremy was talking about. So um, it's fascinating stuff. It really is. It's, yeah, uh, for sure. It's, it's pretty cool. So hey, uh, our podcast. You guys need to tell your friends, share it, like it, subscribe. You can listen to us on iTunes. You can listen to us on Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, our website. Coming soon, we'll be live on the iHeartRadio app. Yeah, the company that fired us. Yeah, we're gonna be. Uh, we're actually gonna be on that platform. So, you guys make sure to tell your friends and subscribe to the Buck and Dex podcast. And if you want to get a hold of us, if you want to call us and leave us a message, you can actually call. Do you know what the number is? Oh, hold on. Stand by. I'll get it for you, bro. I'll just go ahead and tell you. No, I got it right here. Five zero five. Let me grab it real quick. Seven five zero. Right here. One seven five seven. That's five zero five seven five zero one seven five seven. That's our hotline number. You call, leave a message, and uh, we've already somebody, gotten a few. Yeah, somebody will get back to you. And then if you need to contact us or email us about anything, you can do that. The Army at gmail dot com. That is the Army at gmail dot com. You get a hold of us. Coming up for you on the show, we have uh, Leah Black, former um, radio personality here in Albuquerque, is going to be joining us. And then uh, I believe she's the she does something with the New Mexico Brewers Guild or something like that. Yeah, is that what it is? She's involved with the breweries. Yeah, she's involved with the breweries. She has parlayed her radio career into a career in beer, and I couldn't be prouder of her. Let me give you a, a few shout outs real quick because I'm on the uh, Buck and Dex podcast um, Facebook page and a lot of people have been going and leaving reviews. Oh, yeah. So let me give a couple shout outs to some people. Uh, Vanessa, she, uh, she said, I would listen to them every morning on my way to work. And once I got inside, I continued to listen. These guys are the absolute best at what they do. And I'm so excited that they're back. <laughs> oh, God. <coughs> Secondhand vape. I just vaped Dex. <laughs> Like he's, in, I wish I should have taken a video of that. He's in a giant cloud oh, right now. Oh gosh! Uh, shout out to Sam, Sam Winters. Some of uh, he said, well, some of the best times were spent listening to Buck and Dex in the morning during my commute to school or to work. Always laughing, and ever a dull moment. <laughs> you mean never a dull moment? And ever a dull moment. That's a typo. But we all do. Now, we all do typos. Probably what he meant. We all have typos. Uh, shout out to Veronica. I miss listening to the morning show. I don't even listen to the radio anymore. 
They helped me get through the crazy mornings, and I always and always made me smile. Thank you, Veronica. So many people, I mean, millions of people are are recommending this. Not millions, but a few. And uh, so go go to the Facebook page, leave a review, and uh, say something nice, say something bad. We don't care. Say whatever you want. Yeah, you can find us online, buckindexarmy.com. Follow us on Twitter. Follow us on Instagram. Like us on Facebook. Yeah, we're, we're two old guys. We don't really keep up with the time. So if we're missing out on some platform, let us know. You know, we, I, don't, we, I don't know that I want to do. Uh, we we got to. We got to stay up. We got to stay uh, hip, man. We got to stay in the game. That's the only way to do this, man. Uh, do we really need to be on Snapchat? Yeah, we probably do. I'm just saying. Do you send snaps? I don't. I don't have Snapchat anymore. You don't? Why not? I mean, it's out there, but I deactivated it. It's, why did you deactivate it? I just had too much. It's too much. I have Instagram, Facebook, and uh, what's the other one? Twitter. No, I don't have Twitter. Instagram, Facebook. What else do I have? I don't know. Oh, I have TikTok. <laughs> what is TikTok? <laughs> it's another platform. Is that Kesha's app? <laughs> no, it's not Kesha's app. I have Facebook and Instagram. That's all I need. All right. So, Hey, thank you, everybody, for spending an hour with us today and listening to Jeremy Corbell. We will talk to you later. Okay, bye. Bye.